Hello and welcome to the Skate Room Podcast, where we talk art and skateboarding in the name of social change. Today we're recording from our brand new headquarters in Brussels, and we're joined by Will Ascot. Hiya, mate. Hiya. How's it going? All right, yeah. How are you doing, Clara? I'm very good, thank you. We're very happy to be welcoming Will, who is one of the co-founders of Free Movement Skateboarding, a project that we've been funding uh, through our collaboration with some of the world's most influential artists. Um, we've been partnering with Free Movement Skateboarding since 2019, and in 2022, we've decided to extend our support to a more formal partnership, and we're very happy about this. As a way, as a way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is really just an introduction to you. So how would you describe free movement skateboarding in a sentence? Oof, one sentence is going to be tricky, but I'll give it a go. Give it a few uh, sentences. In Athens, we teach skateboarding to disadvantaged young people and everything we do is about building community on and off the board. Okay, nice. And how did skateboarding become a part of your life? Oof, uh, well, actually the truth, yeah. Yeah, when I was about six, I was walking to the barbers with my mum and I saw a skateboard outside my outside our house. And then my mum was like, if that skateboard is still there when we walk back, you can have it. And it was, which is amazing. Uh, so I sort of messed around on it, like on my bum, like scooting around for like four or five years. And then when I was about 10 or 11, I started trying to skate properly, like got a real board. And I think I was probably amongst some of the first people that ever got kind of skateboard lessons. Like I'm quite like, that's a way bigger thing now than it was like 19 years ago, I guess. Um, so yeah, I got, a, I got a, went to a skate school thing and like, so 10 to 12 on a Sunday morning, I learned from uh, our good mate, Rodney Clark, who was a pro kind of in the nineties. Uh, and yeah, I kind of, I got exposed to a very high level of skateboarding uh, pretty early on uh, from him and from his sort of his, his other mates are at this amazing standard yeah and I just got pretty obsessed uh, it's a bit like, of an institution quick. the Pioneer isn't it because it's like the oldest or the longest running indoor UK skate park I think yeah that's absolutely right uh, it's uh, yeah all those kind of 90s comps that you know like you always see the footage of like Radlands with like Tom Penny and like Jeff Rowley and all that stuff but at the same time as that there was yeah, that stuff was still happening in the mm. Pioneer. Yeah. Um, the, the second biggest skate, <laughs> skate park in the UK at that point, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And was the home of uh, the UK Girls Skate Jams run by uh, Jenna Selby and Rogue Skateboards, stuff like that. I mean, it was a real, well, I don't know. Did it feel like it was a kind of more progressive skate park generally than you would find across the country? I suppose yeah, it's hard I to would tell say that so. age. Yeah, and I think, I, but I think that was way before I... <laughs> cared about social issues if i'm gonna be completely <laughs> honest with you like i didn't yeah. care when i was like that stuff only you know it was uni when i sort of started realizing that like maybe these things are important to me um but i yeah was yeah having having sort of the women's scene in the uk a long 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 time before it boomed uh having its you know these big competitions that like people would travel to internationally for like women's competitions there was a really really you know, influencing thing and uh, made me sort of understand how skating can and should be for everyone um, before I even had like any of the, maybe like the language to talk about that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. What's one of the, like the, do you have any like real key trick tips or one of those moments at skateboard where someone went like, that's how you nail that trick and you... Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got one real, real classic, which is like, if a kid's like balancing weird, and doing strange stuff with their body and like 
yeah, their weight's not in the right place. You got to tell them that they need to imagine they've got a nosebleed or like a runny nose, and all mm. the blood needs to land on the skateboard. If the blood's gonna land off the skateboard, <laughs> you're gonna fall off, mate. Do you use that one in your classes today? Very regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, if it's you know if they're you know if we need to keep it extremely PG, then it's uh, then it's snot. It's snot. If it's uh, if they're if they're 16 and they're a bit more like you the know wild. The two bodily fluids. Yeah, snot. yeah, yeah. The more socially acceptable body fluid is snot yeah. than blood. It's good to know. Good to know. Well, we're off to a good start. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> What about uh, some deeper lessons from skateboarding? You know, how do you look back on that time and think like, how did that, how did that change my uh, approach to life? Are there any, is there anything that jumps out specifically about skateboarding that, you know, a deeper lesson? Yeah, I mean, at that at that point, um, I just really enjoyed like the social elements and the travel elements of it. Like, and I'm not talking about traveling particularly far, like up and down the train line, like north of London, where where I grew up, um, you know, is these are really like not great distances. But um, I just had some of like really important, like formative experiences for me at that point, um, you know, kind of early teenage years, getting out and like seeing different places on the weekends, um, hanging out with different people that are from somewhat different backgrounds to me. Um, I think some of that stuff like informed a sort of left-wing perspective on the world before I knew what those words meant. You know what I mean? Just like mm. I had like a a greater awareness perhaps than some people that, you know, maybe I went to school with or just generally were from my silly little middle-class bubble of a hometown. I had a bit more of an awareness that some people have like a different standard of life. And if you go skateboarding, you can hang out with them in quite a natural and normal mm. way, which is a something that I feel quite lucky for, you know? And I, I genuinely believe that those those experiences formed what I think about the world to this day, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, what I was, one thing I was gonna say to that is, I think that we'll talk about Athens quite a bit in a minute, but definitely when I went out to Athens, one thing that I learned from the skaters out there, or it was the first time I'd heard this kind of insight maybe, uh, maybe it was pretty obvious, but uh, this idea that skaters kind of see street life, kind of what it is, because the spots you skate on the street tend to be the same places where there's, you know, let's say like a bit more urban decay, a bit more kind of, let's say face-to-face -face, uh, with homelessness and these kind of issues as well. And it was something that I thought was interesting when you go to a place like Athens, which at the time and still, going through deep economic crisis and you have skaters seeing that evolution kind of happening from the times where you could be sponsored and could have a career to the times where actually all of that was kind of destroyed along with a lot of other, other industries and you find yourself, well, they found themselves around more and more of that kind of, uh, those symbols of uh, different backgrounds and different sort of lifestyles. And I wonder whether you've kind of you know, because in your life, you've always put a lot of energy into volunteering and a lot of energy into sort of social uh, projects. Like, you know, do you feel like skateboarding was inherent to that decision? Or do you think like that's deeper in you? It's just something that you just think like, I want to give back in some way. Like, where does that come from? Why didn't you work in the city as a banker? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think... I reckon skateboarding like gave me a loose basis of like, a, you know, yeah, exposure to people who live different lives to me, you know? Um, 
and oh, I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe like maybe you can talk more about like you know, tell us about when you first started doing youth work and you first started volunteering and like what went into Actually, deciding I, to I do that. Say, I know what to say. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I reckon skateboarding kind of gave me uh, you know a first taste of like. Yeah, just there were just different ways that people, you know, exist. Like quite some of them pretty close to where I'm from, but you just don't even cross paths with them. Um, and then yeah, that it was probably more university and the people that I met there and was spending time with. That um, hey, what did kind you of, study? Uh, studied international development. Um, so you know, a lot of focus on you know kind of like poverty and ngos and um you know the economics and politics of that i did a few modules on social anthropology as well which was really interesting um i entered that course very uh naive and optimistic about how these things work and just like ngos save everything <laughs> and then uh like yeah kind of left it a bit more pessimistic about those things and um <laughs> yeah here i am having co-founded an NGO all these years <laughs> later. So I don't know where that leaves us. Um, but um, yeah, I guess like, I don't know. I, I think, I guess I have an awareness of their limitations would be what I think that degree gave me. But yes, the people that I studied with really, really informed my politics, um, really helped me like understand, um, you know, the broader, broader social issues in society. And I'm very, very grateful for them. And, you know, there are a lot of people that I'm still really close with so I've yeah super grateful for those experiences um following following uni kind of having felt a bit disenfranchised as I just described in yeah. in some of those industries I thought I'd try and get I thought maybe there might be some sort of way that if in a UK context like those issues with some you know some of those issues might not be the same so got into youth work and um yeah, a lot of like disability support work following university in those first two years living in Norwich. Um, worked with some really brilliant people and got, yeah, a lot of training and a lot of experience in, um, yeah, just good ways to support young people going through, um, yeah, going through, yeah, all sorts of different problems, I suppose. So very, very grateful for that experience. And, and then, you were teaching with like, ABC skateboarding as well, right? The coaching, uh, skate coaching thing run by <laughs> Pioneer Skate Park. Uh, yeah. Wow. What do you call him? A legend? The legend that is Alex, <laughs> Alex Barton. Barton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had, um, yeah, you're we're, what we're doing is we're going through the bit of life after uni where I did, I worked four or five jobs at once for, including a bar job. Yeah. So I would do, I'd do Mondays, I'd do running a little skate school, a little franchise fig of the skate school that Alex Barton ran that Osh just mentioned. And then Tuesday to Friday, I was working in a disability support school and then doing some youth work in the evenings then and doing a different disability support job on the weekend and then working in a bar sometimes and it was uh, all a bit much and all of that saving up money was so i could eventually go to palestine and then other things kind of spiraled out of that but uh yeah, yeah. i had a pretty uh i feel like i was doing everything i can to angle myself in the direction of uh where i am now not knowing where that would bring me <laughs> yeah do you want to take this Palestine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's impressive. Um, and now that you're speaking about Palestine, so can you tell us tell us a bit more about that trip that you went to? Um, like, what what were you doing there, and and what was the turning point um, for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So I went to volunteer with SkatePal in, uh, I think it was October 2016. Um, and during that month, I uh, I was there with my, yeah, I, I met uh, um, Ruby, who I co-founded Free Movement with subsequently. Um, and yeah, just like we were in a small village called Asira Al-Shamalia, which is a little bit outside Nablus, which I... Hmm. Fact check, but I believe is probably second second biggest city in the West Bank, I think. Um, we'll put it on screen. It'll just appear yeah, yeah, whether yeah, you're yeah, right or wrong. Right a little tick. I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, figure that out a bit. Um, yeah. And well, I, yeah, I mean, I learned an awful lot there. Like, I, um, you know, the absolute brutality of occupation. Um, and uh, yeah, I also found it like, pretty shocking to see people's kind of life prospects in that in that situation i felt very inspired by um the community hub that the skate park had created you know it's a real like focus point for for people you know bringing their kids there to skate but then you know there was a you know like theater groups practicing there and just like you know there's a play park next door so there's you know there's in, there's different generations as well this was and in association with Skate Pal. Right? Yeah, so this mm. is Skate Pal's skate park in uh yeah, in Asir al Um and yeah, I mean also I think anyone who's been to Palestine will like pass this on as well, but just like the level of hospitality is like wild, like truly like nothing you've seen before. Like like really just so nice like offensively nice Give it's us just a, so good what's, <laughs> like, like, what's the moment that sticks in your head of that yeah time i got i got that? a good one I'm just i remember walking with ruby around the town and like there was someone who had a very nice garden so she just got like a few photos of these like flowers out front and just like they saw her out the window like taking one snap and they pulled us in by the arm had us for lunch for like you know four or five hours just multiple courses like <laughs> stuff being prepared whilst we're there and mm -hmm. like yeah, we ended up, um, we, we, you know, became quite close with that family. And um, yeah, like Ruby got to do a little like cookery school thing with the mum another day, which is very sweet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just they really, really take care of you. You know, they drove us into town to go to the best restaurants and markets and all this wow. great stuff. And, you know, we were we were taken care of, you know, I felt very, very lucky on that trip. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, these are definitely the best cultural experiences you can have. So it's really, really great. Um, and just hearing from, from, from your experience in Palestine and also knowing um, the stories of, of the social skate projects that exist today, we've heard and I've heard quite a lot of times that um, people get inspired from, from being on skate park builds and, and having that experience. Um, can you tell us maybe how, how you and Ruby uh, decided to 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 start free movement skateboarding in 2016, and yeah, where that idea came from. Um, is it f following your your trip in Palestine, or did that come later on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'd had that, you know, had that month in in Palestine, um, and then following that, I went to Athens to go do some some non skateboarding related volunteering. Um, I went to. Uh, a sort of social center called Cora, um, which is a you know a social project that's still working and doing some really important work with uh, with refugees and migrants in Athens. Um, and yeah, it was whilst I was there, um, I was just trying to imagine the things that I liked the most about SkatePal uh, and how they could be applied to um, 
to an Athenian context? Like what are the things that would, um, that would benefit the communities there the most? And long story short, I really think the key, key difference was just that like things needed to be mobile. Like you can't, you couldn't, it, yeah, there's a million complicated reasons why it's difficult to make a individual community hub in Athens, but to have a mobile skate park that fits in a van that um, can sort of meet people and their needs where they're at um, was the main sort of adaptation I thought was was needed. So yeah, kind of theorized that project, got that, got that going in my head. And um, yeah, it was then I met uh, by a chance meeting in whilst working in Cora, I was just like chopping up some onions um you know it working in their social kitchen they're sort of churning out 700 meals a day so a lot of onions to be chopped wow. uh opposite me was uh someone else chopping onions um and you know you speak to all different volunteers people are from different places a very nice and open and social environment so i was speaking to them and it turns out that um they were from uh uh yeah from the large funding body called uh, help refugees now called choose love <clears throat> and uh you know it was one of those moments where i'd had the ideas about how i might you know how a project might look in athens if i didn't say it in that moment you know it would have would have been a regret for the rest of my life so i just uh you know you got there have been times when i've told this story and i've told it as if i told it with like like my on my like on the moment pitch was with like great confidence and like real coolness but i was quite uh, i was actually quite intimidated and quite quiet and so i've actually got a little bit of an idea about how a skateboarding project might maybe work maybe please sorry and then and then they were really into it we've, uh, got, to, we've got to just address the fact that i think your first version of the project was you cycling ramps around uh, yeah. <laughs> so i think and anyone who's been to athens will know it's just hills everywhere and the road is not smooth so you've got like <laughs> you're gonna have mega legs by the end of that which i'm not yeah. saying you don't have well <laughs> but they could you know let's hope people are listening and not watching <laughs> back at home they'll see they've got pretty normal sized legs um yeah I, yeah my original plan was like to try and just make it you know i couldn't imagine that someone would give you money for a van to run a skateboarding project so i just kind of mm. thought like we'll do it on a bike from a bike trailer which indeed is pretty yeah. nuts considering the uh uh topography of athens top greek word um yes uh yeah so anyway planned it out in a lot more depth um and got in touch with ruby uh and yeah kind of did did a little uh little plan on how we would do it budgeted it out kind of a few estimations of what things would look like and of course things changed massively in the subsequent years but uh yeah we were fortunate enough to be backed by help refugees in that moment. Um, you know, I went back home for a few months and sorted my life out and we bought a van and uh, yeah. come March 2017, more or less, uh, we we were out in Athens or we were driving to Athens, maybe something like that. And we're what, approaching our fifth birthday. Yeah. yeah. Wow, the year flies. But yeah. um, what I was going to ask is maybe we can backtrack a little bit and you can give us a sense of like, you know, you explain that the differences between Palestine and Athens are, are great. And so the, the requirements of a project are going to be very different as well. But what was what was the urgency in Athens then? Like what was going on at that time? And what, what were you seeing working in Cora specifically with like migrant communities and those seeking asylum? Yeah, I mean, that's true that they're, they're vastly, vastly different contexts. And, um, you know, one of the things I would say the reason that it needs to be mobile is that like you know the camps especially are 
very, very far out of the city, very, very isolated communities. Um, and, you know, during the time we've been there, the capacity of people to live in those communities to access the city has been cut and cut and cut. And people are, you know, stuck in a little mm. pressure cooker of a horrible little squalid refugee camp and no one cares. But we'll do more of that in a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, basically... Um, Got to know a lot of displaced people during that, um, during those weeks there. And I guess I felt at that point to some extent, basic needs were being met and there was very little in terms of recreation or actually maybe there would be some kind of stuff for little kids. Like there was, you know, crashes and, you know, like coloring. kindergartens, coloring for yeah. sure. Plenty of coloring pencils available. Um <clears throat> But not so much in terms of like recreation for like, you know, yeah, teenagers and young adults. Um, and and how long are these, like these kids are staying there for a really long time as well, right? I mean, for some of them, their entire childhoods are taken up by this process. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I think if you arrive, your date for your first asylum interview, once you can get through the process, is maybe we're talking like five years time. So you've got five years in limbo before you have an idea what a decision might be. And um, then that process takes a further, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna be honest, I don't wanna be quoted because I, yeah. don't, I don't know 100%. <laughs> but like, 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 yeah, several, several years for sure. Mm -hmm. But effectively that means that what you're looking at is <clears throat> for many people, yeah, a hugely drawn out period of time where you're, you can't play, you can't relax, you can't kind of have fun in the sense that we would kind of understand it in this context, right? Like what I, what I can say for sure is that I know, I know it's 17 years is the average amount for a displaced person from leaving their country of origin to being settled and safe in a new one. Wow. Um, so it's a phenomenal amount of time in limbo, um, you know, unable to, you know, get on with their, you know, aspirations for their life, which is a, is a horrific thing. Um, yeah, it's a really, really long time to just be trying to get through each day. Mm -hmm. So well, I was going to, because one of the questions we wanted to ask was, you know, why this project specifically? Like, why not, you know, why, you know, if you decide one day you want to start a skateboarding project and you realize it's possible, why Athens, a place that you'd only kind of visited that time and had only spent time. But I suppose once you see that and across Europe as, you know, well, British person from Europe, but you know, someone from uh, from from that world—that's definitely the most imminent crisis of that time. You know, like the migrant crisis was impacting every country, whether they wanted to kind of accept it or not, right? And did you? Uh, yeah, did, what I guess question. the question—the <laughs> question is like, you know, you're sitting there <clears throat> in Athens, you've gone out there to to volunteer, and you decide to start this project. Like, you know, it's going to mean you've got to move there. Right, like the question would be why Athens, but I think you answer it based on just like the huge requirements of of these kids. Yeah, I mean it's it's a place that absolutely needs it, and um, I, I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna answer with an element of selfishness, and that I also like the city. Like yeah. uh, I also enjoy like I think it's a, uh, it's a, yeah it's a it's a complicated complicated answer, a bit of a problematic answer maybe, but it's a nice place to live, like yeah. to an extent, like it um. It has its own beauty and has amazing nature and mountains nearby. And if you're fortunate enough, like I am, to be able to access those things regularly, 
and you can live quite a pleasant life there. Um, that's just not the case for many people that live there. Certainly yeah. not a lot of the people we work with. But but yeah, I you know I enjoy living there. Yeah, and I actually think that's also fair because you are still co-founding a project and uh, you know giving and your time and dedication to to a, a purpose and a social cause. But uh, there is also this. Uh, entire well-being that you also need to have on the side of of doing that because I know it's also quite heavy. We will probably get there uh, later mm -hmm. on, but it's quite heavy to be doing what you're, you've yeah. been doing for the past years. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think like, especially at the point where we were working very regularly in refugee camps, like that was a real emotional toll on everyone in the team. It is a... These were yeah. the early days, right? The early years. Mm -hmm. early yeah, I mean, until COVID. Like, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and we can... Yeah, there was a change in the law, uh, um, making it very difficult for smaller NGOs to access camps, which we can talk about more yeah, in a yeah. bit. But like, yeah, basically, uh, just like running those sessions was a very, very tiring thing, like emotionally exhausting for everyone. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a high level of burnout in the team, unfortunately. Yeah. And what, so those first days, you'd driven out to, to Athens. I know for a fact your van got robbed and yeah, all your stuff annoying. got taken. <laughs> Pre-work. <laughs> that was in Italy, right? Yeah, that was in Rome. Uh, yeah, we were running. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I mean, as you know, it's five years ago. It's a long time ago. Uh, but yes, we were driving through, um, driving through Italy and we were in Rome and we had some sessions set up with uh, other people working in kind of refugee supporting projects, all with donations that we had received in england before um and we were recommended to park in the tibetina station of rome i don't know if anyone knows that place i you know i didn't before but if you ever ask anyone from rome like and you say like we parked in tibetina they're like what like of course, like obviously you got robbed <laughs> wow okay yeah i mean ruby had it worse than me she lost <clears> a full suitcase um I lost a speaker. I remember finding my pants about 200, like 50 meters away from the, 50 meters away from the band. It was just like an individual set of underwear of mine. <laughs> and it was a set. <laughs> no, it was an individual pair of well, boxes. Well, knowing you as I do, well, you're never more than 50 meters away from a pair of your pants. That's how it goes. Yeah, it's part of nine millimeters. Just wearing them. <laughs> um, right well yeah and so i mean that's a tough thing to go through like you d obviously didn't turn around and just drive straight home which i'm, no. I'm sure there are some people in the we world had a really funny them. like week staying in a like real cheap hostel with just like very very drunk 17 year old australians which was you know <laughs> has its you know, <laughs> which is fine like <laughs> which is like pretty entertaining like and you arrive in athens like what's the let's say you know, was it what you expected? Did you realize you'd bitten off a bit more than you could chew? Or did you feel kind of like, yeah, we've got this actually? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was very excited. Like I was like, this is, you got, you got to appreciate that. Like I kind of briefly mentioned it before, but like at that point I'd been working a lot of different jobs, trying to push myself in this direction. And I was like kind of speechless that I was able to do this, that someone would like, fund me to do this mm. it's like amazing so i was i was hyped you know like genuinely like really really like feeling very blessed to be able to do it um and yeah i mean i i, I don't know like we were working super super hard but like i didn't 
I don't know, it didn't feel like a chore at that point. But you like, didn't have like, a flat, you didn't have the ramps yet, right? You had no, a van. You basically drove a van from England, turned up in Athens and went, Yeah, you're right. You're guess right. we better get started. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. We so uh, yeah, you're right. We um stayed on the floor of a friend's project uh, a friend's project for like two or three weeks, uh trying to find a flat and trying to rent a place. I do very clearly remember the conversation I had with um, my first landlord and him just being like, I kind of want some evidence that you're going to be able to pay the rent. Like, what's your job? What do you do? Um, and trying to explain it to him and just being like, so like, <laughs> you know, refugees and then felt a negative sentiment from him. And he was like, you know, <laughs> you know, skateboarding. Negative <laughs> sentiment from him. <laughs> just like, <laughs> you know, being paid by an international NGO as a British person to teach refugee skateboarding. And it was just like, like, <laughs> like a lot of skepticism on his part. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty weird vibe. <laughs> like, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think there's been, it's a hard thing to, you know, and, and also like fully understand it at the point where like, I know, I know for a fact that like his son couldn't get a job in retail like just selling stuff in a shop and you're there as a northern european doing mm. that holy trinity of yeah <laughs> of, of like very that. niche yeah, yeah 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 like pretty weird stuff that isn't so understandable to someone um yeah it yeah there are times when it's met with a little bit of hostility at worst and mm. something more yeah. chill at times but anyway so yes during that during those early days um yeah, we worked super hard. We built the ramps in that flat later on. In the, um, in the room, right? In the front. Yeah, in the living room of the top, flat on the first floor. First floor. First floor balcony built two quarter pipes that are like Russian doll into each other. Like one fits in the other one. So I remember very clearly the moment of like putting one frame inside the other and just being like, yes! <laughs> like, like super, super happy that the design worked. All, all, I mean, I've, uh, yeah, I've got to give credit to uh, Benji, like master carpenter, um, help refugees, linked us up with him uh, right at the start of the project. He'd been working in Calais for a long time before. Um, he was sort of stuck, stuck around with us for the first six months or so. Um, and yeah, he was a real help. Like, uh, yeah, he'd done, done a lot of really great work before. And yeah, he, he helped... Yeah, he designed and built those ramps and I, I passed the tools and made cups of tea. And then, uh, yeah, we lowered them, lowered them on ropes off the balcony down to the van and they fit in the van to the millimeter. And we're, they're still the ones we're using now, five years on. Wow. Yeah, uh, we've had a few few little replaced sheet supply and a few little adjustments here and there, but like they're, they are well built. They are extremely good, good, like finely designed things. But but what, ha what have been the main challenges about working in Athens and um, and can you explain maybe how you address those challenges? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, unfortunately, definitely at the point when we were working uh, in the camps a lot, uh, staff mental health was a real issue. Um, yeah, like it's just an exhausting environment. It's a, and yeah, it's really, really difficult to see people living in those conditions and to try and run something that feels like quality youth provision there is just really really hard like they're chaotic spaces with you know we we're capacity we have capacity to deal with sort of 15 to 20 kids at a time and there's probably 
you know, another 200 in the near vicinity that need to be entertained. So if you're lucky, you get someone from the partner NGO that you're working with to go and do a massive game of football or a massive game of Frisbee or something and and deal with as many of those kids as possible. But like, you know, that's not every time and it certainly isn't 100% effective either. So, you know, there's still kids that are desperate to skate and then just like, you know, you try and try and cater for them and do as many sessions in that camp a week as you can, but it's it's really, really tough. Mm. Uh, you know, we've had, I can give you all sorts of crazy stories through like stuff that we've seen in camps. We've like uh, had to cancel, had to stop sessions for five minutes. It's literally like, um, this is a nice story. A wedding <laughs> procession came through a skate <laughs> session once. We had to like, wow. there's a wedding. Everyone stop. There's a wedding, um, which was lovely. Well, I mean, but there's, you know, there's been, there's been way more chaotic things and very, very challenging behavior from young people and, you know, you also need to acknowledge your capacity to deal with that as Mr. Skateboard Man that comes mm -hmm. for one and a half hours per week uh, mm -hmm. and like doesn't speak their native language. The idea that you might be able to genuinely influence their behavior is uh, like, you know, maybe you can do something for sure. Like what we do is beneficial and like is a pleasant thing for them for a bit mm -hmm. of time. But the idea that you might be able to truly truly influence their behavior is like it's like that's that's you know that needs to be for like the people that are constantly with them and their parents and it is true you aren't speaking their language and at best you're meeting them with a few words here and there right but i mean you must spend quite a lot of time pretty much miming mm -hmm. foot placements on the board yeah that's and absolutely like trying true. to explain complex uh reasons for being kind to each other and everything is uh, a little bit tough maybe yeah totally totally um yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. I've got my, uh, you know, I've got my big command words across a number of languages nailed. I can say sort of come here and go and whatever else across, like, and scream that stuff in Arabic, Farsi, French, English, and Greek quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, but, you know, I like, at some point, well, I guess we'll speak about the Edgescape curriculum that we've been doing with Concrete Jungle. There is absolutely no way I could imagine running that stuff uh, in, in any Five languages, language. mm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even one other one. Yeah. But maybe, maybe some some of them start actually also picking up some English, which, which is super beneficial for them. Absolutely. Um, and that's, it was one of these kind of uh, like unrecognized benefits of the yeah. project like kids are getting sent there because they're like so like a lot of Greek kids in the sessions that we're doing in the city at the moment are you know parents are loosely you know sending their kids there because they want them to have a good time skateboarding but they're very happy for them to be exposed to some English as well um, that said we've all got an all Greek team now so it's less so that was like a, <laughs> yeah a few years ago that was definitely the case mm. kids were really stoked on speaking English yeah it's amazing it's definitely one of the indirect impacts of of of, of your activities there. For sure, for sure. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, we're, we're, you you talked about um, maybe the challenge of of kind of mental health and and how it is working. Actually, the reality of working in those camps. Were there any other challenges that you faced um, working there? Yeah, I mean, I think in the very nature of the camps, they're so intentionally excluding those people from the rest of society mm. so at a point where we were doing 11 sessions a week and six of those sessions were were in those refugee camps we can't truly 
claim to be promoting one of our core values of social cohesion or like we can in the rest of the week we're doing it reasonably well but like you know spending so much time running services within these refugee camps that we're not creating the spaces in which like young displaced people and uh you know and young uh greeks and you know people living in the city are mixing and sort of experiencing that socially cohesive environment that we really really wanted to be creating um yeah it's been an interesting bit of time with regarding that actually since coronavirus uh absolutely brutally really really awful thing has happened of like uh the government has changed the laws during the first lockdown a sort of quiet shuffling through of this uh of a law which means that any any ngo who isn't greek registered and doesn't have two years of accounts in greece and also meets some other very very difficult to attain um criteria criteria thank you very much uh yeah then that they aren't able to access the camps um which means that you know we're unable to go to camps anymore but also like so is our friends mobile library project so is all this like you know maternal care so are various food projects so you know many, it's just yeah. a real a broad spectrum of services that people are not going to get access to anymore uh the only people that passed it as you might expect are the massive multinational ngos um that you know although do some good work plenty of good work uh do not in my mind respond to the you know the needs on the ground there's there's a lot of you know people falling through the cracks with them mm -hmm. and i think that was where free movement was really good and as as are all those other smaller projects like you know filling in for what can't be done on a massive scale um so yeah it's a real real shame for the people living in those camps and there's a lot of them uh you know it's 120,000 refugees and migrants wow. and displaced people in in greece and you know 20,000 on the islands 100,000 on the mainland and uh it's pretty brutal to hear you know the stories of things in camps as as it now becomes you know increasingly difficult for them to access any services people are just going to be left to sort of you know left in these little mel like pressure cookers just sort of waiting and waiting and waiting infinitely with deteriorating mental health no services nothing to keep them entertained mm -hmm. very limited educational provision waiting for an asylum decision and uh you know it's tough it's tough mm -hmm. i I think if you kind of look at it from a governmental perspective, you know, from like what's a smart investment in the future of your country? Like these people are going to be in Europe long term. Mm -hmm. That's pretty established at this point. So is it smart for you to give them compound trauma or is it smart for you to maybe invest the money that you're putting into camps and increasingly militarized police and, you know, like, you know, like fingerprint scanning as you walk in and out of like refugee camps and all that other stuff is it, or maybe it's smart to put that into like you know schemes that could help people get some education mm. and maybe some skills and maybe like mm. become a citizen that you know wants to contribute to society mm. because of course they do like of course they want to like go be part of like live there you know people have come to europe for a sense of safety and a better future like why don't you permit them to have a better future and you know greece was it's incredibly massive aging population like could probably do with some uh you know massive influx of young people that want to do the jobs that you don't want to do uh, yeah. <laughs> you know we can <laughs> we can been, do that rant for a while there's been um, a lot of media yeah. coverage has dropped off since the kind of let's say the kind of most uh controversial period of the crisis where the most people were coming over from uh, into the Greek islands and into Greece and 
now it feels like the media coverage has kind of dropped off much in the same way as it always does with any kind of crisis once it's mm-hmm. uh, run its course let's say as a yeah. as a within as, the media cycle within the media least. cycle yeah. and yeah but i think it's cl- clearly clear for you but and clear for those you work with that it's really not the case that that problem is as any is in any sense uh solved or is in any sense like more sustained or what like where where how has the, even the realities of your participants changed over the last five years well um it's pretty yeah it's pretty stagnant those that are those that perhaps have asylum in greece and are able to uh you know attend some kind of educational program like or you know if they're you know assuming they're they're young people um some of the yeah some of them might have a somewhat more integrated kind of uh you know integrated experience but like generally like those that we used to work with in refugee camps are not getting that mm-hmm. and uh you know they as i just said they're getting a lot less services so yeah pretty yeah i think they're pretty bored i think that's that's the kind of key key takeaway really i think it's and it's a thing you don't talk about it with migration a lot either actually like the kind of the unsung menace is just boredom like mm. infinite boredom for years and years and years mm. um as well as insecurity as well as dangerous situations and dangerous journeys like yeah i think unfortunately that's the situation and you know just to think about those participants of ours that were in the camps um we're doing what we can to try and work with them still and like bring them out on trips to uh yeah out to uh like other sessions and bring them to public sessions and bring them to skate parks but even that organizationally for like partner ngos that are also that that are able to access the camps with the best will in the world from the individual staff members within them administratively it's a very complicated thing for them to do that and they've only got so many hours in the week and you know you do your best but it's uh it's it's difficult to like make it happen on a yeah on a on a regular basis so yeah for those guys it's pretty rough honestly like um yeah pretty rough (laughs) and around those early days you were i mean what the team as you said was more uh english speaking yeah. And it's developed. You had volunteers coming and going. You developed your volunteer program. Uh, was it a program or a scheme? It was a program for a year. Yeah, yeah, for a, yeah. for a brief period. But now, like, there's a sense in which you've structured your organisation in a different way recently. And who who are the team now? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, staff wise, it looks very different nowadays. Um, yeah, I'm the only sort of international person uh, left in the team. Uh, everyone else is is Greek. Uh, and yeah and yeah we're not doing the international volunteer scheme anymore um you know it's uh yeah i just i just basically basically in terms of like getting hmm, yeah basically it's, it's a lot better for us just to be like way closer to like the greek skate scene working with like uh really really skilled people with a background in like solidarity projects and ngos and stuff like that that understand that landscape um also like working you know with people that you know now we're doing all of these public sessions nowadays like running them in english is like is nonsense like you need to like it needs Mm. to be done in greek yeah um and because the public sessions they maybe talk a little maybe we can talk a little bit about how you moved from being very focused in those kind of that refugee context and are now you know 
also in the context of COVID-19, right? Like mm. you've really changed that. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. So yeah, all the, the, this kind of links with that government policy change as well in terms of like, we spoke about ourselves being like a, um, a sort of crisis, almost like a crisis response organization whilst we were working in the refugee camps trying to provide something to those young people that are living in such difficult situations. Um, whilst also acknowledging that those sessions were in terms of quality at times, unfortunately, pretty low. Like you're doing the best you can, but you just like, it's absolute chaos and it can't be anything else. And that's due to the the nature of the space you're given the and the absolutely inhumane conditions that people are put in. You know, I actually wrote a uh, article for Jenkum that was like mapping the mapping the sort of refugee crisis through in parallel to our sessions with like the size of the bit of space that we got to teach sessions in so mm -hmm. like um in elionas camp where we used to work like used to have in our first year this massive like event space hall that was like uh you know similar size building to the place we're in uh but not building sorry like a marquee like sort of tents thing with a perfect smooth wooden floor so you could teach in the rain and like the floor wouldn't hurt if a kid fell on it. It was like absolutely ideal. And just like as time moved on, obviously that space needs to be taken up for housing of lower and lower quality is worth noting as well. So, you know, they're not like, they're called ISO box shelters, but like a little- Shipping like, containers. Yeah, basically right? more, more or less mm. shipping containers, yeah. Um, yeah, that some of them are tense as the time goes on. And yeah, that eventually just becomes a thin strip of concrete. Some of it is just rubble. Like, and you know, how are you meant to teach? How are you meant to provide quality youth provision yeah. on a space that's yeah. that's like that? Um, so yeah, that was us in sort of crisis mode. Uh, thinking about it becoming a bit more like developmental. Uh, there was an awareness that those sessions weren't as good as they as they could be uh, and the times that we did manage to bring those kids outside of the camp and get them to get them to a skate park or even just like there was a couple of sessions we ran where we managed to get them to a nearby university and they were just in a basketball court amongst some trees very calm and green space like those kids were like angels they were like either mm. incredibly excited or just like having a, their first nice peaceful time in a like a beautiful green space where yeah. like people need you need to be around trees man <laughs> like, yeah. it's like it's, it's very good for you and the behavior the kids exhibited then was just like oh my god this is just like where you should be and it's awful that you have to live in that place um so yes this acknowledgement that that is what we kind of consider to be a developmental session and that we wanted to move towards that as coronavirus came and i mentioned that law changed making it more and more difficult for smaller NGOs to access refugee camps, it became necessary to, well, sorry, it became necessary for a second. We weren't allowed to yeah. access <laughs> those absolute bastards. Yeah. <laughs> like men that all small organizations couldn't access camps anymore. Um, so uh, that kind of forced our, we, we'd spoken about moving towards this more developmental stuff and wanting to do more of that. And that kind of forced our hand a little bit earlier than we might have done to work in that way, you know, like so. So from then on, we were trying to do these inner city sessions in basketball courts, focusing on social cohesion. Yes, yeah, mixing with, um, yeah, more mixing with like local kids. 
This was and green, yeah, and I'd like green to bring kids. It. This is also what other commu- communities are in that are in the kind of like day to day. You've got yeah, communities. so plenty, yeah, so plenty of great kids, of course. Um, yeah, massive Albanian population, um, and more recently, we've been wor- working with a lot of uh, sort of Roma young people, mm-hmm. and uh, like they're, you know, it's the same in it's the same in in Britain. You know, it's a really, you know, people will like say like chat shit on jippos very very sort of comfortably traveler community is a very acceptable little prejudice that is a really disgusting yeah. and shocking thing like it's very much accepted and uh it's one of the yeah really one of the few that just it doesn't go challenged in any kind of i remember hearing it yeah i remember hearing it at uni before I, yeah I don't know, yeah yeah i don't know i just heard some mad mad stuff about that community that yeah. is just so completely fine like yeah, yeah, in yeah, most yeah. people's minds like, yeah exactly uh, Anyway, and that, yeah, that's absolutely the case in Greece, you know. So I think being able to run some sessions where young people spend some time, just like you know, like some young Greek kid just spends some time with a young Roma kid and just has like a bit of normal coexistence, just having a little fun time on a skateboard together, is a very special thing. That I feel lucky to yeah. be involved in. Yeah. And have you seen uh, because you're speaking about social cohesion? Have you seen any behavioral change? Uh, you know, in the evolution of the skate session you've been giving, maybe there were some, as you said, like prejudices in the very beginning, and then these have changed, and there were more, um, yeah, more easier contacts uh, within the participants that were joining the sessions. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm, I'm we're gonna step away from the participants, and I'm gonna tell you about the skate mums. It's all about the skate mums nice. at times. It's always uh, is about. We've we got don't. to shout out our own skate mums. Yeah, as well. shout, shout out Alison Ascot. Shout out. Yeah, legends in the scene. Um, yeah, you know, like it's a very special thing to just witness the mums on the side of a session, just like chatting mm-hmm. casually and over the weeks bringing their kids there repetitively like um becoming closer and and you know becoming friends and you know there's a big mum's whatsapp group for our sessions in in Patissia at the moment and um which is you know one of the one of the neighborhoods we work in um it's really really special to to sort of witness that that our sessions have become this focal point for you know and actually it mirrors what i was speaking about with skate power i hadn't thought about this before like that thing with like Skate Pals Park becoming this place for like a bit of a community hub. We're in we're in this uh, basketball court in the neighborhood of Patissia twice a week. And like when we're there, as are the rest of the parents, you know, they're watching their kids skate, but they're chatting, they're catching up. And like, it's a very welcome, like mm. uh, respite for them. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're working parents and they're tired and they need this little, like little yeah. moment. And, uh, you know, they just, they sit and chat or, you know, get on with the rest of the things they need to do. But it's one of the things that's been, yeah, another kind of unacknowledged benefit of the project is just having parents just be like, thank you for the time off you've given me. Like I really needed it. Also being able to, them using it as like bribery to their kids to like do their homework, like yeah. no skateboarding unless you do your homework. Like, Is it like, this it is, works for you, like great. Just something that's jumped out to me with you saying this, because also obviously like, Seven Hills is another project that the Skate Room supports and is supporting this year. Also, Concrete Jungle Foundation wanders around the world. Skate Stand like over and over again. We see uh, like skate parks specifically, but but the more public organised programs in those skate parks, they become these uh, places where families of different backgrounds can kind of 
yeah come together and build community but skateboarding is also specifically one of those activities that you can't really leave your kid on their own to do it's not like you can drop them off at the mm. thing and they'll play for a bit and maybe you can come pick them up in a bit or whatever like you do kind of need to be watching them so there's a presence a real parental presence and family presence around like those kind of skate parks and those uh, or those sessions right which potentially with a different sport i mean depending on how you know how that works it feels like there's a lot more of that in these in these kind of projects it's just something i've noticed through interviewing like people that we work with and it creates community gatherings as you creates say like, gatherings, it creates yeah. connections and relations from with the people from from this from this area yeah i, li I like yeah. marrying that kind of uh yeah that presence of parents with a non-competitive thing like skateboarding because If you have the presence of parents with a competitive thing like football, yeah, you get someone else's dad shouting at you while you're mm. wearing shorts in the rain in England at 8.30 a.m. Yeah. on your Saturday, Yeah, which which is Clearly why I some, quit football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got some trauma <laughs> associated with that. My football sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, the, the word that comes to mind hearing about, you know, you, you know, coming to Athens with, with Ruby building the ramps, uh, needing to figure out, you know, various different ways of accessing these locations over the period. Like the word agile really comes to mind for me. Like I think free movement is the most agile project I've at least come across. And I think that there's something about the nature of your work or the nature of who you are as a team or just, I don't know, don't know what it what it comes down to like maybe you can go into that like who because we were talking about your team briefly before but you didn't really get to mention them now like who are the team now and what do you think it is about your crew and what you do that makes you be able to respond to things like COVID-19 and just be there in a different way and these new law changes and be there in that way and um yeah I mean I think what it is with the team is just that like people there's a real genuine desire to do the work you know there's a there's a people want to work with young people and give great quality skateboarding lessons and like and also build in these other kind of youth worky values if you will um and pe you know i really really feel it from everyone that we want to you know we want to like justify our wages i want to feel like i'm getting you know <laughs> we don't get we don't get much money but like you know we're like i want to like get i want to just feel like i'm doing right by the people that give us money mm. i want to feel like i'm like pushing as hard as i can and like doing right by the kids that we that we work to support as well like you know they deserve it like they've uh and and i feel that from everyone in the team which is an absolute blessing you know we've really pushed to like keep finding the right people to work with and um you know when that when that's the situation like those people want to stick around which is you know i feel very fortunate for like and i you know i like to think that i'm you know doing my best to give a good example of that as well and try and really 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 bloody hard definitely man <laughs> um, definitely yeah <laughs> Can't so, so let me talk through the yeah, team go on. You want yeah the yeah, team, yeah right? go on all right so um, tell us who they are give the shout outs Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, massive shout out to Lefteris Xanthakis, uh, left, aka Lefty, new Papa uh, Bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's a a father to a beautiful yeah. baby girl called Maya, um, and he is kind of on your sort of financey, legally stuff, uh, the vanny stuff, and sessions, and just generally being 
uh, wise man who understands how Greece works very profoundly. Like, I love that man dearly. Done a lot. Um, we got Denia Nicholas. Uh, and she does a lot of brilliant stuff with uh, monitoring, evaluation, and learning, and doing our reports, and like done an incredible amount of work on like getting. Like there was one week where I ran the so, so she normally does the social media as well as the reporting. I ran the social media one week for a winter campaign. During that time, she just like made this incredible like Excel thing of like registering all the participants. That's just so. There's so many formula in there, and you know, and I'm just like, I'm. It's so far beyond one work of those I could just, like, ever imagine. Yeah, across every, the board. Yeah, 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 yeah. and then and and. And it's all GDPR safe, and it's and it, and then you're clicking here, and then another like there's a graph coming out there. It's very clever, and, then, and it's color coded. Uh, is, is this going to make for a good podcast? Uh, definitely, <laughs> like, definitely. Your technological ineptitude is funny oh. forever. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It was literally like she put a video online, <laughs> the television on the internet. No, 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 no I've heard about Instagram. It's going to be big one day. Um, <laughs> Uh, what's happening? Yeah, and then Danya, Nicholas, Danya. Yeah, we got. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We also got Koga, um, Koga Selbast, who's a legend in the scene. He has got a, a strong CV for what we're doing. Um, so Koga was a pro in uh, in his twenties. Um, he worked for sort of a UNHCR funded education program in his sort of late twenties. Uh, he is Kurdish and Greek, so he speaks fluent Kurdish, fluent Greek, of course. Uh, good English, Arabic, and Farsi as well. Wow. So just like language-wise, so good. Wow. His capacity to lead a group of children and like adapt to the needs of every individual one. He's so he has a long, long like a deep bag of like youth work tricks. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. he just knows how to work with young people. It's like real The blood sick. snot technique. That's your... Uh, yeah, yeah, your yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. You know, I just blood yeah. snot any situation I can. It doesn't always, doesn't always work. Like, uh, <laughs> can't blood snot every kid, Will. God damn it. Um, and then, um, yeah, uh, you've got Yanis uh, Katsuonos, which is a, a more difficult surname. Uh, and he's just been on on us with our like training tour of the UK, which we'll talk about more in a bit. Mm. Um, and yeah, he's he's doing a lot of the stuff like involved in improving the sessions and a bit of the maintenance stuff as well. Um, yeah, just like really good skater, been good for bringing us closer to the scene and a great inspiration for the kids. Uh, and then just on a couple more shout outs of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Daniel Kopita, who works for Skatism, she's in the hourly instructors. Also came with us on the on the trip recently, um, and yeah, Irato, uh, whose surname I don't know, and I apologise if you're listening, Irato. <laughs> we'll put it. We'll put it down there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Khatira, Irato Khatira. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just like both of the, they're just they're just like. They contribute so much. They really, really inspire the young people we work with. It's very important to have like strong women leading sessions that like mm -hmm. skate well. Uh, and it just means that like, you know, the young girls that come across see them, you know, can see themselves represented in the people that are teaching them. And uh, mm -hmm. you can't put, there's, you can't like put a value on that. That course, really, yeah. really means a lot. So yeah, we're very, very lucky with the team we have. 
Uh, and yeah, I uh, bloody love those guys. They're a great crew. They're yeah, crew. yeah. Clara, do you want to jump into the skate room? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, I mean, we've been we've been following free movements activities since 2019, and uh, I personally always have been a big fan of what you do. Um, and I also remember, you know, when COVID, when there was the COVID outbreak, how uh, we felt really sad that your activities had to to change, and you jumped back into something uh, different, and and as are said, very agile, and it's and it's amazing. Um, so yeah, so 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 that's also why we decided to to seal a more a more formal partnership this year, and um, and the skate room is is committed to to support you with a, a fifty thousand USD uh, contribution to to your activities and programs in Greece. Um, so maybe could you tell us about uh, how how what's your vision for this year and how. Um, you know, that commitment will impact your activities in Athens. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, firstly, of course, I just want to say, like, we, you know, we, like, really, really appreciate it. And we really, like, want to, you know, we'll be pushing as hard as we ever have done, you know, to, like, keep uh, keeps using it to, like, support the young people that really need it through skateboarding. So, like, we're going to be pushing towards getting a space, a skate park, uh, the security with which, uh, the, the security which the funding from the skate room has given us really really supports us in that you know if we were having to be really really stressed out about getting funding in from different places mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to commit the time to looking for a permanent space which I really think will benefit the young people we work with um, and yeah there is a there is a essential and difficult bit of Greek bureaucracy to battle through with that which is like registering as a greek organization which will really really help us yeah. but is a uh, some pretty dead chat for a podcast um <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but yeah we'll get get that all essential greek tax number and then we'll be able to rent a bit of land and uh hopefully build a skate park we have a dedicated uh a lot of uh bureaucratic listeners admin staff you know they love this podcast so please yeah, get yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go deep bureaucracy <laughs> gr yeah <laughs> the podcast right please carry on <laughs> <laughs> no but maybe because you're speaking about um, having your own space how how will that affect your operations and why is that so important because i know it's something that people sometimes cannot um understand like uh you 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 have been doing your activities now on uh public spaces or basket courts and stuff like that why is it a, a specific skateboarding space important yeah um yeah for sure it's a great question like yeah, for us, uh, with the with the spaces we've been working in, there's always been a sense of temporariness to it. Like you never know, uh, you know, who you might upset by being there. Maybe there'll be some like police checking you out, especially when you're working with young people that might not be documented. That's a serious risk, mm -hmm. and we can't be drawing attention to them. That's a, you can't be doing that as a project. So um, the consistency of having a center means that. You know, people have a, a safe space in which to skate and, and so much more as well, you know, like it can be a real hub for social cohesion. Like if I kind of think about my experiences growing up skating, uh, you know, it, it, we're talking about many, many, many hours at the skate park with, uh, with a relatively consistent group of people. And that's what communities are made of, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Doing it for a few hours a week with people is a fantastic thing. And uh, we've done, you know, we've built community through that in the different places in which we work. But, you know, if we, if, if we can have a center in which people can visit every day, you know, for a, a, you know, an extended period of time, that's how you really, really build community bonds. And uh, 
I think it will basically will just amplify the the kind of the key aims of our project, which I haven't mentioned yet. Actually, is well-being, empowerment, and social cohesion. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it will just it will just only make that stuff more powerful. So that's what we want to do long term. Nice. Yeah, and I think it's important, and it's something that we've that we've noticed, and um, yeah, a lot of other social skate projects have been talking about the importance of an infrastructure um, and, and, and have been focusing on that as well, uh, even though programming is also very, very important in what you do, for sure. Um, but maybe to jump on that, um, so you've, you've worked actually closely with other, uh, other partners of the skate room, such as uh, Skatistan, um, the Good Push Alliance, Concrete Jungle Foundation. Yeah, a bunch of legends, all of yes, them. Yes, they are, they are. Um, <laughs> we know that they're also doing amazing, amazing work. Um, maybe can you, can you tell us a bit more about um, that community of social projects um, and, and how it's flourishing through collective action and education? Because we know that there is also a lot of uh, relationship between uh, the social projects and it's actually become a, a huge uh, as we call as we call it a social skate movement with the, within the social skate community how have you how ha have all these projects worked together and and helped each other in growing yeah i mean everyone's just been so supportive of everyone from the start and you know even you know uh the first uh funding applications that i sent to help refugees was read through by charlie from skate mm -hmm. a bunch of times you know and and helped me sort of refine the messaging on that yeah, more recently, this stuff with, um, yeah, so with, with Skaterstan and The Good Push, uh, yeah, we've worked really closely with them. We were one of um, their Good Push partners in the, yeah. I think, the second year they did it. Um, and that meant that uh, Ruby, my co-founder, and uh, Amber, who used to work with us, went out to uh, went out to South Africa to see their school there and sort of learn from some of their practice, which is, you know, absolutely you know, an incredible experience. And, and I remember hearing about the learnings from and how to run sessions from that as, uh, as they came back from that. Yeah. Uh, and of course with concrete jungle, we've been running their edge escape program in the last little while, uh, since I think about November. Um, yeah, I've been working very closely with Tim from, from concrete mm -hmm. jungle and, um, yeah, so they've built this absolutely incredible curriculum called edge escape which is uh, an 11 week long course, uh, different sessions kind of building on each other and, uh, you know, all about kind of youth empowerment and, uh, you know, helping them sort of be active citizens in their own community, uh, you know, doing stuff individually for themselves, for their community, and then also having a sort of looser, more play bit. Those three elements mm -hmm. kind of build their way into, uh, into the curriculum throughout. And uh, honestly, like using that as a as a structure has just meant that the quality of our sessions has absolutely skyrocketed. And it's so nice to have someone like, you know, the um, that document, right? Like it's not public yet, but the Edgescape document yeah. thing that they sent us is a phenomenal piece of work. Like that is like, that is months of work, like for sure. It's like 45 pages and it's sick. It's like so good. Uh, and, you know, to be able to, you know have a, they're, they're letting us trial it for free mm. and we're trying to kind of contributing our knowledge to it and stuff and our, our thoughts on it but just like 
you can imagine in in other NGO worlds and of course in like the private sector, like you know, we're competitors. We yeah. should be competing. It's very, like, it's very yeah. collaborative. Yeah, there's just no the there's just skills. no need and it's yeah. just like we can just like, you know, we can all just give each other stuff and we're all and thanks we're to things all like nice. the, the Good Push Alliance, uh, you know, Skate Stand sort of funded net, uh, back network of uh of NGOs who the skate room also works very closely with. Like there is a central resource base there are things like the push against racism mm -hmm. uh campaign petition which you i think and free movement and other ngos kind of collaborated on yeah that's right mm -hmm. yeah i've been on a lot of the calls with that and uh trying to support where i can yeah. um yeah it's a there's a lot of really important work going on there I've, i do believe the fund has been launched today people can apply for a grant if they're doing okay, nice. strong anti-racist work within skateboarding um yeah, I, you know, there's just a lot of amazing work being done and, um, you know, a lot of people looking to support each other within that. So, you know, genuinely, like if I was to sort of think back to, you know, before five years ago, I couldn't imagine like uh, a world that I'd want to be a part of more. Like genuinely, yeah. this is like it absolutely links the uh, the things that I like and care about, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, of, of skateboarding and, and sort of social justice -y stuff. So what, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing in town in Brussels? Like, what, why aren't you in Greece right now? What have you been doing the last weeks? Yes, good question. Uh, I've been, yeah, so, yeah, the last week I've been in the UK with uh, the Free Movement team and a couple of the guys from Concrete Jungle. Yeah, sort of their sort of key instructors from, from Free Movement and some of the guys from Concrete Jungle. And um, what we've been doing is uh, a bit of training and a bit of like hanging out with other social skateboarding projects and just trying to understand uh, how we can improve our, our practice from other people and sharing what we've learned as well, you know. Um, so it's, it's called the Beyond Skateboarding Tour. Uh, and the whole point is about, you know, we're trying to figure out what are the best ways that social skateboarding projects can go beyond skateboarding how can we do something that adds value to what we do more than a skateboard lesson you know um so it's been a really incredible week like started off in manchester uh a week and a bit ago now um and we did the skateboard gb get rolling qualification which is sort of uh skateboard gb is the olympic committee right around skate yeah that's yeah, yeah the skate sort of um skateboarding federation yeah um so they yeah they have the Olympic sort of elite sport end and they're increasingly uh, developing their community development end which uh, my good friend Chris Lawton who works for Skate Nottingham who I sort of me him and uh, the people from Concrete Jungle kind of collaboratively work to make this happen yeah um, yeah so he's a community development guy and. Yeah, but we, so we did the Get Rolling qualification in Manchester at Greystone. We visited Project Skate Park in Manchester as well, which has uh, got a huge amount of community outreach. There's some very underprivileged uh, communities in Manchester, as well as having an absolutely incredible skate park under a bridge. Uh, we had a very fun time skateboarding there. And then uh, in Nottingham for a bit with Skate Nottingham, uh, we did some sessions there. We also did a guest lecture at nottingham trent uni which is not my normal gig and was pretty <laughs> scary if i'm completely honest like um yeah uh we went to sheffield and went to Bournebrook diy like there's some amazing people that have uh built this diy skate park in a bit of land that um you know there is is yeah was once a pretty sketchy place to go and they've made an amazing community hub there 
heard about the things that's been that was during the first lockdown heard about the things that that's done for people's mental health during lockdown and the community that's been built around it the sessions that they're doing making space for uh you know women and girls and lgbtq plus community they've also made disabled access to it and it's been built to a european standard it's the you know it's an incredible diy mm. and aldi next door are trying to like extend their supermarket onto this land and kick them out so they're in the big fight the seven grand skate park it's a, sorry it's 150 grand skate park built for seven grand wow. i got their whole sca- i got their whole Amazing. sales pitch down but those guys wow. are sick Damn. like i like they're like i was very impressed with bornbrook diy wow. go sign the petition uh the petition link in link in, in the, the description if description. it's still up by that point yeah for sure for yeah, sure. yeah 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 petition that amazing and um, you finish things off at the pioneer right that's right that that's very right. skate park where you you know cut your teeth i, I told you this I, I wrote a very uh a very cheesy email late at night that i felt embarrassed about sending when i read it again that was just like it's the ultimate homecoming <laughs> um, and it was it was the ultimate homecoming um so yeah went went back to the, the skate park where it all started uh and invited all of the everyone kind of involved in social skateboarding in the uk that i could get hold of to come together and sort of chat about what they're doing trying to break the conversation up into different themes around diversity and inclusion and mental health and you know skate spaces and skate parks and diys uh and other themes and i'm and two more themes (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah it was a real like special uh a special time bringing people together there and you know honestly for me as well to like have my greek mates like that are my mates from the team to kind of you know i've seen seen a lot of where they're from it's very very special for, for me wow. to bring them to to where i where it started for me so it's been a very special week and yeah i've got the euro star over here this morning well shout out to everyone involved in that project and in the beyond skateboarding tour i mean i think any podcast hosts would be happy to have a, such a full circle so it brings us back to where we kind of began with you, you know, finishing mm-hmm. at the Pioneer. And I want to return to that question of life lessons again that I brought in at the, at the start, you know. And let's say you're, let's say you're, what are you, nearly 30? Are you 30? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, indeed, I am 29. You're 29. <laughs> so never been so insulted in my life. <laughs> After after this journey, you know, like that, you know, I asked you at the beginning what sort of lessons you'd learned from skateboarding as a kid, but you know, through this journey and seeing a very different side to skateboarding than most people will have seen from you know our backgrounds and skating in that context, you've seen skateboarding in many different contexts. Like, what lesson have you taken away from skateboarding out of the context of its kind of yeah traditions of its Western traditions? Like, what what have you learned about what that thing really gives to people? I think just like, you know, people learn and fall in very, very similar ways. And like in that process of just like, you know, struggling to do something that is inherently pointless, like it's this silly little toy and I'm just going to try really, really hard for hours to do this thing. Uh, even if like the tricks and the culture and stuff is different, people usually like do do the process of trying really, really hard to mm. do something forever that doesn't actually change anything other than just them doing this and thing. And they do it moment. once. Yeah. And that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do it once and that's great. Yeah, um, that's enough. Yeah. And, and and I think that inherently like builds community. Like like doing doing that process whilst you're next to someone else doing the same process. You can be from different backgrounds, not share any language. You can just 
like I don't know yeah you're just doing that same, and you can be different abilities as well and you can just be standing next to them you're doing that process they're doing that process you inherently feel connected and um, that sense of unity is the thing that I think is like that's the that's the magic that's mm. what that's what counts I think like uh, that's what makes me like continue to really really like deeply mm. believe in this work like uh, I love it and uh I don't know, I feel very lucky to be able to like commit all of my time to it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. man, like it's amazing to be able to talk to you about it, to be able to, yeah, work closely with you and also just to know you also on a personal level. It's beautiful. But I think I mean, also your, your angle on the skateboarding world is, is an interesting one. You've seen many different faces of it and you've, and you've, and in, in many different contexts and, you know, diversity, equality, inclusion, community, non-traditional uh, movements in skateboarding is kind of a big theme over the last decade, maybe longer, right? Kind of beginning in the most uh, mainstream sense with, you know, like skater stands starting and, and the social projects that come from there, but also from non-traditional skater, non-male move, uh, skateboarding movements. Like, do you have a sense of what the next big movement is going to be in skateboarding? Like from where you're at, do you think that that's something you can, you, mm. you see coming or do you think it's going to come completely left of field? Just like that question. Um, just like that question. Just, um, <laughs> I sent you the questions in advance, my friend, just because yeah, yeah. you want it to be spontaneous. <laughs> What's next in skateboarding? Um, yeah, uh, for uh what is next in skateboarding clara thoughts well, feelings suggestions questions there is the olympics i've heard about it <laughs> which i guess will uh yeah have definitely positive maybe i don't want to say negative but uh impacts that are not uh necessarily um 100% welcomed by the skateboarding community of course, i yeah. guess so that's definitely one that I can think of. Yeah, mm. this the old the old sportification of it all. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there'll be a load more resources for stuff in that way. Um, you know, people will be able to get skate parks built a lot more easily. Um it was pretty funny speaking to Chris Lawton about like, you know, watching Sky Brown in the finals. He's, he's got his job as the community development guy of skateboard GB. It's like I was just I like the idea of like your funding <laughs> your job for the next few years depends on this 13 year old girl's 540 <laughs> so fingers crazy. crossed she lands it <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um, yeah um, oh, man. yeah I don't know basically I, I think like there will be an increasing level of like hyper sporty competitive skateboarding and I think at the same time there's probably going to be more resources for the things that I find more interesting in skateboarding. Mm. Um, I absolutely welcome and encourage anyone who skates who is motivated by that sporty end of it to have it. I'd be the same with any, for sure, any kids we work with, if they were motivated by those things, um, I'd be really, really enthusiastic to put them in touch with the right people to push that side of it. Mm. But it's not the bit that motivates me um yeah. and in that way i'd be kind of pushing the uh you know the community end of it and i just really really hope that there's a lot more resources for that and i feel that that will be the case so what does motivate you what inspires you to keep going every day like waking up doing this again and again and again 
Um, oh, I don't want to give it an offensively cute answer, but it's the kid's smiles. <laughs> 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 I don't know, like, yeah, like it's just real nice when you do the sessions and it's just like, you know, when they're just like, the van comes in and they're all running and shouting. They're like, oh my God, like, yeah. we'll skate, wheel, skate, skate, we'll skate. You're like, hello, <laughs> yes, I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> You're all really lovely, like, well done. Like, you know, oh. that kind of but, but that wakes you up in the morning. Uh, thankfully, our sessions are in the afternoon. That and the Fredo espresso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, but that, that like, That sort of gets me through the like, so yeah, do like admin. My average day is very admin-y and then at like three, four o'clock, like get in the van and then become like, my, well, at that point you're, at da you're in danger of having a kind of like post-lunch hot grease mm. energy slump. I can see and that. And it's the kiddos that pull you through, you know. It's, it's a powerful thing, Clara. You've got to come and see I've, it. I've got to come and see for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. yeah but maybe as a as a classic but final question please uh where would you see free movement skateboarding in five years in five years yeah um well for sure i'd like to see us with that center you know i really really think like having a a skate park and a hub for young people to meet would uh would be an important thing and you know i, I can imagine This doesn't just have to happen in Athens, you know what I mean? There's a million places this could work in the world um, and, you know, a million different communities with which it could work. So uh, why not imagine it with some other places? Um, more generally within like skateboarding, I'd really, really like, actually the, now I'm going to answer your question from a little bit ago, um, <laughs> but I'd really like to sort of see like brands support projects Uh, projects like mine and concrete jungle and everyone everyone else in this movement why not why not put their their money behind something like that like they might do a pro skater you know mm. like i'd like this to be sponsorships like mm -hmm. ngo sponsorships kind yeah of thing, i just yeah. think like you know it's it's with an increasingly uh socially aware market of skateboarders people that care about this stuff like is yeah. probably a pretty wise investment to go and like put some money behind The people that are really like putting the work in every day to improve people's lives through skateboarding rather than just being really good at switch trades which is also a valuable contribution to society <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, like, don't get me wrong like don't get me wrong you can have all the really good switch trayers knocking at your door after this yeah 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 yeah, was, yeah. hate mail from the switch tray crew i, I, <laughs> I do apologize um no but like and i rate skate room for that i really really do like um you know like it's it's people you know you guys are supporting the thing which you know i would say that but you're supporting the thing in skateboarding which i think like actually kind of changes some stuff like whether there's you know whether there's more or less money for like elite skateboarding i kind of think you know changes the lives of a very select few and i kind of think that projects like like the projects that for, um that the skate room supports is you know that's that's where the, i would like to see the resources channeled more Well, I mean, we do it all to see the change that projects like yours creates. And yeah, thanks to you, man, to everything you do, to your whole team, to Free Movement, to everyone who's helped along the way, and to all our artists, partners, our retail partners, to everyone listening to this. 
um, yeah, there's another five years, another 10 years of free movement. Let's go. Yeah, man. Catch you in 2027. 20, 50. Yeah. Or 202058. 20, 20, I don't know. I 20, can't do 202058. 20, <laughs> How many years is that? More than I will count live on a podcast. Um, Beautiful. Well, Sick. that was Escape Room Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been lovely. Cheers.